The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. I want to invite you this morning to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you're going to use one of the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, you'll find that on page 712. I had someone come up to me about 15 minutes ago and tell me that the version event was not in version. It's there now. Um, I forgot to hit a button this morning, and in fact, there are two for today, um, but that doesn't mean you're going to get a 90-minute sermon. It just means there's two for today. Uh, the one that you want, the, the correct one for today is the one that's called 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 9, It's Not Your Church. So that's the correct version event for the morning. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the church at Corinth for a few minutes today. You've had some correspondence back and forth with Paul after he's founded the church and after he's left. So there have been a few letters uh, that you've already sent to him and, and at least one that he has sent back to you. And over the course of that time, you have a few questions. So you write Paul yet another letter, and lo and behold, this letter comes, the letter that we call 1 Corinthians. And the elders of the church gather everyone together. Uh, this was not a time like they didn't have a copy of 1 Corinthians in their house. Um, they would have gotten together as a church and the elders would have called them together and someone would have started to read this letter to the gathered body And as whomever is reading it begins to read it, it sounds like a lot of other letters um, that they would have seen in their day, especially from Paul. Um, He would have reminded them of who God was. He would have reminded them of who they were in light of who God is. And so far, so good. There's a standard call for unity telling the church that they are there to be united. And then you think, okay, now Paul is going to answer our questions. We've asked questions to Paul, and now he's going to answer our questions. But instead, he writes this. He says, For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. I want you to imagine for a moment what it might have been like to be in the room when that letter, when that portion of the letter gets read. Paul is going to talk about not just the answers to their questions, which he'll get to, but he's going to talk about really a bigger issue at play within the church. And that bigger issue within the play is the way in the, in the church, the bigger issue at play within the church is the way that they are divided. The bigger issue in the church is the way that they are treating one another. So what Paul's going to do, because he cares about their hearts, he's going to once again share the gospel with them. He's going to once again communicate the reason and the purpose that they're even in the room in the first place. He's going to talk in this letter, and this is what we've just spent the last month now talking about. He's going to talk in this letter about God's wisdom. And specifically, he's going to talk about the way that God's wisdom stands in contrast to the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of God is shown in the way Paul describes it, the weakness of the cross. 
And this sounds weak, the cross sounds weak, because in their culture, heroes didn't die on the cross. In their culture, criminals died on the cross. And as Christians, we are, from the mindset of those in Corinth, we are worshiping a criminal. That doesn't make any sense to them. And then Paul is going to talk about the way that God's wisdom leads to serving others and leads to self-denial. And again, this is all, this is all very disorienting for people in this culture. Paul's talking about the way that it's the people of the world who use their personal associations to get ahead in life. My high school economics teachers wrote in my yearbook at the end of my senior year, Remember, it's not what you know or who you know, but it's what you know about who you know. That was my economics teacher giving me that advice. It's very much the way of the world, isn't it? It's very much the way that Corinth was functioning. The problem is that's not the wisdom of the kingdom. It's the way of the world to see people use their gifting to exalt themselves. And what Paul tells them is that when you become a follower of Christ, you actually try to minimize yourself. You try and reduce your, the obviousness of your presence. And I think if you would look through chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 in 1 Corinthians, what you would consistently see is Paul trying to, trying to kind of fade into the background. Paul is trying to minimize what he's done. He's trying to minimize his impact. But he's not just doing this in false humility. What he's doing is he's pointing to Jesus. Don't look to me. Look to Jesus. Remember what we talked about last week and then the first week? I wasn't crucified on the cross for you. You weren't baptized in my name. Jesus was crucified for you. You were baptized in the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit. And this just doesn't make any sense to people who are unspiritual. This is what we talked about last week. This whole wisdom of God and mindset of God and orientation of God that Paul is trying to remind the church at Corinth about doesn't make any sense to unspiritual people. It must be revealed only by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, when Paul goes to Corinthians, to Corinth, we read about this in Acts 18, the Holy Spirit uses Paul when Paul uses plain language and humility. When Paul just shares the gospel, when Paul is just comfortable sharing the gospel. And when they became followers of Christ, something amazing happened. They transitioned from unspiritual people who don't have the ability to understand the gospel. They can't. That's what, that's what Paul says in chapter 2. They transitioned from people who can't understand the gospel, because they're unspiritual, they transition to people who can, because now they're spiritual. This is what God does. This is Paul's message. Well, then we have to ask this question as we've been reading through 
1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2, if now they are spiritual people, if they've been transformed into and are being transformed into the image of Christ, then why are they acting worldly? Why, why is this taking place? Let's read a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, that's on 712 in those Bibles in front of you. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you are infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk and not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger. I want to stop right there. I know chapter verse 2 doesn't, but I want to stop right there for a moment. What Paul is talking about, what Paul is reminding them of, is when I first came to you, Acts chapter 18, when I showed up in Corinth, you were unspiritual people who could not understand spiritual things. So what I had to do, and this is the way I kind of think about this, I had to put the cookies on the lowest shelf possible for you to understand. I had to treat you like you were spiritual babies. Because if I came at you when I got to Corinth with all of the wisdom and knowledge that God has provided for me, you would have no idea what to do with it. You, are, you just wouldn't be able to grasp it. So I, what I, Paul, had to do is I had to put the cookies on the lower shelf. I had to come to you timidly and speak plainly to you. I had to do so trembling. Because Paul wasn't going to argue them into God's kingdom on their own terms. Paul wasn't even going to argue them into God's kingdom on their terms. He was going to do it on God's. So he's reminding them that he entered into Corinth probably two years, maybe two and a half years earlier. He had entered into Corinth. They were unspiritual people who couldn't understand anything he said. So I had to talk to you like you were a bunch of babies. Don't you love the bluntness of Paul? And we might be tempted to think, because of all of the things that Paul has been talking about, we might be tempted to think that he's going to now say, and because you are now mature, that's who you were, but now because you are mature, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dump some wisdom on you. I'm going to give you the thing that you want. I'm going to answer all of your questions. But Paul doesn't do that. This is the second part of verse 2. And you still aren't ready. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. We had quite a bit of discussion about this in elders meeting last week. What Paul is communicating to them is you are still in your humanity. You are still in your mannishness. You are still not acting like spiritual people. You are still acting like unspiritual people. You are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove 
You are controlled by your sinful nature. Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? See, when we read these words earlier in chapter 1, I don't remember who said it on Monday. But when Paul was talking about this in chapter 1, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, it sounds a little bit like it was a bit of a, just of a, kind of a slap on the wrist. Like he's, he's brought this thing up and he's saying, don't do that. But what Paul is doing here, and this is important for us to grasp, is Paul is talking about what really happens when we do this. It's not some minor thing that the church at Corinth is guilty of. It's a major thing. It's actually a very revealing thing. And it reveals something about the hearts of the people who are, who are doing this. It reveals something about the hearts of the people who are giving in to this. You're still not ready. And this is why I had to just retell you the gospel. Your preferences aren't nothing. You, Corinth, you are still the unspiritual people that you were before I came. You're acting out of your flesh. And what's so interesting about this text, before they were acting out of ignorance. Does that make sense? Before they were unspiritual, they didn't know what they were doing because they didn't know. They didn't have someone pointing out and confronting them on their sin and calling them to embrace the person of Christ. We've ever entered into, in this chapter, we've in, entered into a different level of a lack of knowledge. It's not ignorance. What Paul is telling the church at Corinth is you're not acting out of ignorance. What you're doing is you're acting out of willful disobedience. What you're doing now, see what you did before, there was an excuse for because you were unspiritual people who couldn't understand spiritual things. And now we're in this phase, church at Corinth, where you're not just ignorant, you're rebellious. And that is a problem. You are unwilling to do what God is calling you to do. You know the truth, but you're not acting upon it. And this is why the gospel matters. This is why Paul is reminding them of the gospel. Because they can have answers to all of their questions. But if they're not a people who are living out the truth of the gospel, then they just have worldly wisdom. What Paul says essentially is, I would like to give you more to eat spiritually. I would like to tell you more, but your little baby stomachs can't take it. What will happen, what Paul is saying, and, and if you've ever fed a baby, if you've ever fed a baby a different level of food than what they're prepared for, and we've all done that, right? We just, there are some phases when we're bringing our kids up, like we can't wait to get them to the next phase. So we think we can just jumpstart that. And what happens is those kids throw up, right? They get sick to their stomach. 
And what Paul is saying in this text is, man, there are so many, there are so many things that we could be talking about. So many deeply spiritual things that would mature you and help you grow. But the reality of it is, you're immature babies. And you're not immature babies because that's your age. You know, we expect a three-month-old to act like a three-month-old. But I think we can say if a five-year-old acted like a three-year-old, we'd all have a problem with that, right? See, the problem is that they're immature. There's this church father named John Chrysostom. He lived from 347 to 407. And he said this about the church in Corinth. The Corinthians' inability to receive solid food was not by nature, but by choice. What we are seeing in the church at Corinth is the people who know what they ought to do and choose something else. They're not ignorant. They're willfully disobedient. In their sinfulness, these are people who preferred to live as unspiritual people. That was their preference. And my guess is because as Christians, we are not as, we are not as spiritual as we would like to be. We haven't attained that spot, right? There are things that each one of us wrestle with. My guess is we can probably identify with this in some ways. We know what God calls us to, and yet we don't do it. We spent a sermon last year talking about Romans chapter 8. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do, I want to do, I don't do. What does he say? Who will rescue me? Actually, that's Romans 7. Who will rescue me from this body of death? This is a very real thing for us. This is why the Bible is both timeless and it's timely. It's not just to them, but it's for us. And what this text is doing when we read it properly is, is we're holding a mirror up to ourselves. And it's not just enough to ask, well, why, yeah, why, how come these stupid Corinthians don't get it? Wouldn't that just be the easiest thing in the world if, if, if we could look at this and be like, man, those Corinthians, they are sinfully, willfully disobedient. Why can't they get it? See, the reality is this, this text is a mirror. And when we see this in them, we ought to see this in us. This ought to ask us, force us to ask some questions. And this, this unspiritual life that they, are, that they are choosing, this is, I have a list, so I got I to read it off my list here. I just went through 1 Corinthians, and I looked at all the problems that the church was facing, so I just got it on the list. This selfishness is wreaking havoc internally. It's why they proudly boast about the man who's sleeping with his stepmother. 
It's why they're suing one another. It's why they're confused about sex. It's why they can't go to the market and buy meat without being judged by other Christians. It's why they don't wait for one another at their meals. It's why they have competitions about who has the best spiritual gifts. See, these problems in the church, these sinful issues in the church are some pretty big sinful issues. Some really big ones that this church has to figure out a way to deal with. But if they don't get the gospel right, they're not going to be able to answer these questions. They will never be able to resolve these issues in the church because these issues aren't the real issue in the church. Talked about this. There's the tree and the fruit. All of those things that I just listed off, that's just the fruit. That's the way that their sinfulness is manifesting itself. It's the way that they're choosing to be worldly is revealing itself. And just generally, what many of us want to do in our own lives is is we want to deal with the fruit. I see this problem. I'm going to take that off the tree. Talked about this in in class at Summit a few weeks ago. It's kind of like whack-a-mole. You know that game at the carnival? The little thing pops up and you hit it and it goes down. And then what happens? Another one comes up and you hit that. And then what happens? Another one comes up. Sometimes what we do as Christians is we play this game of spiritual whack-a-mole where we have this problem that we address and then another one comes up and we're like, where'd that come from? Well, it's because we haven't dealt with our sin. It's because we haven't dealt with the root of the problem. And until the church in Corinth deals with the root of the problem, which is their willful disobedience, all they're going to have is problems. They can take care of the stepmom issue. They can take care of the lawsuits. They can take care of all these other things. But if they don't fix their core identity in Christ. There are going to be more things that come up. And these people who are engaging in comparison in this comparison game over who their favorite speaker is or who their favorite teacher is, and I can't learn if I don't have this person talking, and, and I was saved by this person, so that's my, that's my pedigree, that's my, my resume. All this is doing is causing problems. All it's doing is causing them to reveal that they are living like people of the world. As the NLT translates it, it says they are controlled by their sinful nature. That's what it reveals. And the funny thing is, and it's not funny. The interesting thing is it's not actually Paul or Apollos or Peter that they are worshiping, that they're elevating the person that they're actually elevating is themselves. They're wrapped up in themselves. Let's listen to what Paul says next in verse 5. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting, 
or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their hard work, for we are both God's workers. Listen to this identity statement that Paul is making. We are both God's workers, and you, church at Corinth, you are God's field. You, church at Corinth, you are God's building. This is who Apollos and I are. We are just workers, and this is who you are. See, what Paul's saying is that this this comparison game is worldly because it removes God from the equation. The comparison game is worldly because it removes God from the equation. It elevates people like Paul, like Apollos, like Willie, like John, like Zane, like Cody, like Joe. It elevates people. And again, what Paul has been doing for the first three chapters in this letter is minimizing himself. He's trying to get the people to look to Jesus. See, this comparison game puts these people in the spotlight as though the success or the failure of the gospel depends on them. And if the success or the failure of the gospel of Jesus Christ at Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska is on me, you people are in a world of hurt. We are in nothing but trouble. And I think we should thank God that the success or the failure of the gospel isn't on us. Who would want that weight? Who would want to walk around with that And this is one of the things I've been trying to tell you over the past couple weeks. I I used the word relax and then I doubled down on it last week and used it again. And then what someone did was they came to me and they said, you know what word would be better than relax? Intentional. You know what? They're right. So that's a better word. Because when I'm intentional in remembering that the gospel doesn't rise or fall on me, what that allows me to do is it allows me to enter into relationship with people and talk to them and love them and honor and serve them and certainly share the gospel with them. And then at the end of the day, I can just trust God with the work. This is not on me. And it's not on you. And that's three weeks in a row now. Because I know some of you are walking around as though the salvation of your friends and your family members and your coworkers rests solely on you. One of the things I want you to do is just be free from that. Be concerned. Think about it. Be urgent in the way that you share the gospel. Take advantage of the time that you have. Be intentional in that. But you got to realize at the end of the day, 
Like you might say something wrong. They might ask you a question that you are not prepared to answer. And the salvation of our friends and our family members and our neighbors and our coworkers, it doesn't rest on us. We have a role. We are, as Paul says, planters and waterers. That's no, it's not responsible for the growth. The success and the failure of God's kingdom doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. And that's good news. Our job is to simply do what God calls us to do. To plant and to water. But none of us are going to make it grow. We watched the Legacy Grandparenting Summit over the past couple days. And there's this tension as I'm, I'm, we're watching this and there's a group of people who are in the room watching this. And one of the things I heard as soon as it was over, and I I thought it probably a thousand times between Friday and Saturday, man, I wish more people were taking advantage of this. Man, I wish more people were taking advantage of this. And you know what? It's not my job to make that grow. It's not. And when I get wrapped up in thinking that it is my job, then what I'm doing is I'm removing God from the equation. I would love, and I think you would too, I think we would love to be able to point people in a spiritual direction and like make them, like make them be obedient to what God calls them to do. Like when you're, when you're seeing the different choices and decisions that people make in their life, like wouldn't it just be great to make them? Ugh, make them. Can't you people wake up? Can't you do what we want you to do? Why? It's not our thing to grow. And I know for me, and I believe this is true for many of you, It wasn't until you reached the point of submission to God that that was when you made the decision to be obedient to who Jesus is. And I've had so many conversations with people over the last week. There are so many people in my life. I just wish it were going to be, I just pray for a soft landing. When they bottom out, when they hit that point, man, God be gracious and please give them a soft landing. But I also know that for many of us in this room, our landing was anything but soft. It was a brutal landing. It was a brutal reality that caused us to hear what God has to say. See, we plant, we water, and we trust God with the growth. And for those of you who have a garden or grow crops or raise animals, you know that's true. There's only so much you can do. When those clouds start coming from the west, you literally have no control over that. Isn't that a bummer? All of your hard work, we just have to trust God. 
We also have to remember that we are what God is building. That we are what God is building. It's not our building. It's not our church. It's God's church. And the second that we think otherwise, the second that we think this thing is about any one person, for for good or for ill, that's the moment that we cease being a church. It's the moment that we become a club. And the thing about clubs is their primary interest is the person who are the people who are inside the club. What do we need to do to keep people in the club? How can we keep people comfortable and happy in the club? One of the things that Delta Airlines has done recently in like their flight club is they've reduced the amount of rewards that people can get when they use like a Delta credit card. They're reserving their club for the people who earn it the old-fashioned way through miles, through airline tickets. See, that's what you do when you're managing a club. You're concerned about the people who are inside. Now, what's fascinating about this text in 1 Corinthians is Paul spends a lot of time talking about what's going on inside. And soon and very soon, in the text anyway, for next, for us, it will be in February, when we open our Bibles back to 1 Corinthians in chapter 5, what we're going to start to see is the way their internal issues are affecting their external witness. As a church, we are God's church. And as as, I'll say as, as we have internal issues, our desire is to deal with them because we know that our internal issues aren't going to stay internal. In fact, the issue, let's just jump ahead. I'm doing great on time. This is 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Internal. Something that even the pagans don't do. External. You see how we just made that beautiful transition there? It's so subtle. See, what goes wrong in here will eventually impact our witness out there. That word church means something. It means assembly. It means congregation. It means a people who have been called out for something in the context of the church as religious people, as Christian people, the thing that we have been called out into, the specific purpose that we have been called out into is to demonstrate the reality of who God is and what he's done to be his witnesses. That's the purpose of this. This is why we gather. And when we act otherwise, what Paul is telling the church in Corinth, and I think what might be for us, when we act otherwise, we are indicating that we are not actually Christians. In fact, we are worldly. We are immature Christians. 
And what God is calling us to, whether, whether we are unable to understand these spiritual things, we talked about this again last week, God is always at work around us. God is always speaking to us. Some of us hear the noise and we tune it out. Some of us as non-Christians hear the noise and, and we're interested in it. We're fascinated by it. We want to learn more. We're becoming sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Some of us are unable to hear. Some of us are unspiritual. Some of us are able to hear. Some of us are unwilling to hear. Some of us are unwilling to respond to what God is calling us to. And we are called by God to grow spiritually. We are called by God to grow in our relationship with him and our relationship with others. And the question that we ought to ask ourselves is, are we? Am I growing spiritually? And then I need, need to ask that next level question. The answer is no, why? Why aren't I growing spiritually? What do I need to do to humbly submit to what God is calling me to? And if I'm unable, it means I don't, I don't, I don't have some abilities. It means I don't have some skills. There are some things that I need to learn. If I'm unable to grow spiritually, what I ought to do is I ought to ask, I ought to seek, and I ought to knock. What I ought to do is I ought to ask God for strength and the abilities to pursue him. What I ought to do if I'm struggling and growing spiritually because I'm not able, I need to remember that nothing worth doing in life is ever easy. Whether you've learned a sport, a musical instrument, how to drive a manual transmission, nothing that's worth doing in life is ever easy. And what we ought to do is ask God for the ability and the strength to be able to do that and then act upon that. There's a text in Hebrews 11 that talks about it this way. It says, strip off the weight that slows you down and run with endurance. You'll do this by keeping your eyes not on men, not on women, but on keeping your eyes on Christ. Because he alone is the author and perfecter of your faith. Because as Christians, we all have work to do. So if I'm unable to grow, I need to ask God to make me able, to give me what I need. And then when he gives me some instructions, and this won't come as any surprise, It'll probably sound something like, spend time in your Bible, pray, be with other believers. Probably something like those three things. And then what you'll need to do is do those three things. Not going to be easy, but nothing in life that's worth doing ever is. That's if you're unable. Well, what if I'm not willing? What if I hear all this? Your humble submission 
is the acknowledgement that you are acting out of willful disobedience and rebellion to God. Like there's just no, there's no nice way about people who are, to deal with people who are unwilling. When I worked at Best Buy many, many years ago, and we would be having an, uh, an issue with an employee, whatever that issue was, the first question we always asked was, is this person unable or are they unwilling? And if they were unable, we could give them tools, we could coach them, we could teach them, we could train them. And there was so much mercy and grace for people who are unable. Because they, they wanted to, they just didn't know. But then there are people who are unwilling. And man, there was not a lot we could do with people who are unwilling. We could try and coach them, we could teach them, we could train them, but there was a significantly less amount of grace. And what we want to do is we're in a spot where we are unwilling to do what God calls us to do. And it doesn't even have to be about some big thing. It could be, I need, no, I need to get over a sin in my life. And I feel like God's okay with it, but I really know he's not. See, the fix is acknowledgement that you are acting out in willful disobedience and rebellion to God. What Christ would tell you is give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me up that hill. For those who are unwilling to do what God calls us to, the way is repentance. The way is death to yourself. Because you have work to do. We pray with me? God, I pray this morning for those who desperately want to grow, that they would have the courage to ask, seek, and knock. That they would see that they have work to do and you have work for them. I pray for those who are, who are unwilling And at some point, that's been every person in this room. And I pray that we would take up our cross and follow your son, Jesus. That we would no longer choose spiritual immaturity. But we would choose to be people who are learning and growing and becoming more like your son. Help us to recognize that this is work that you do. It's not work that we do as much as we'd like to. But help us to trust you in that work. And it's in your sins and I pray these things.